He just gave them these instructions. We read these and we think, well, that's just so weird. That is so weird. But God, God understood. He, he's the creator. He understood. You eat those things in the desert, you're in trouble. Uh, you're gonna, these diseases are going to come upon you. So you're better off just not eating them. You're better off not doing these things. If someone is, someone is sick, you isolate them. Uh, he, he gave them some sanitary practices, and he just said, these are the things, this is how you live. And, and so he's protecting them, none of these diseases. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting when you read commentators about, okay, they come to this water, it's bitter water, and, and there are some people who say, well, there's certain bark of a tree, certain trees, and you throw that in there, and it purifies the minerals and brings them down. Now, we're talking about two million people drinking water and one tree doing that. And then there's some people who over-spiritualize it and say, that's the cross, that's the symbol of the cross. You know, you add the cross to the mix of your life, and your life becomes sweet and purified, which that's some truth in that. And there may be some truth in the bark as well. But in the end, what happened is a miracle of God. God's showing them again. He's showing them again. I am your provider. This water is bitter. You cannot drink it, but I'm your provider. And so he instructed Moses to just simply do this, and the water becomes pure. The water becomes sweet, and God is their provider. Sometimes we try to overcomplicate. We try to draw out some spiritual meaning from everything, and really all we want to see is the big picture. God's saying, I'm it. I'm, 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 your, I'm your hope. I'm your provider, I am your rescuer, and I'm going to be with you in this journey. I'm going to take care of you. And then we come to a very significant miracle, and that is the miracle of manna. So chapter 16, verse 1 through 3. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin. That's interesting, isn't it? Which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day, the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So this is a month uh, that they had departed on the 15th day of the first month. So now they've been gone a month, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, And when we ate the bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. (laughs) I think, um, you know, on the surface, their complaints were not true. Moses and Aaron didn't bring them out there to kill them with hunger. Uh, Moses and Aaron had good motive. there's a, one of the commentators named Gusick said, a complaining heart often finds it easy to accuse the person they complained against of the worst motives. We tend to do that. I tend to do that. Sometimes you do. And that's what the Lord in the New Testament, we're warned against, is that I'm not to impugn your motive. I can impugn your action because that's visible, that's tangible, but I, I can't your motive. I'm not to judge your, your motive. And so... Um, they had forgotten what it was like in Egypt. They'd, a month out, they had forgotten they were slaves. They sat by the pots and had their flesh and their bread, and now they're out in the wilderness and they're hungry and they're, you know, they, they, they think Moses is trying to, trying to kill them. And they had forgotten that their life had been miserable, basically, and their, gut, and their 
Pharaoh was killing their children. They've forgotten those things. So God gives them instruction. Uh, Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, here's another one. He's going to test them. And it shall be, verse 5, on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, so here's God's instruction. It's a test, and it is a significant miracle that's going to happen and to be continuous. The last verse of this chapter said it, it was continuous for the whole time they were in the desert, so the whole 40 years. Um, five days, and, and you, know, you know the story. Five days there would be enough. You'd go gather what you need for each person in your family, which was about anywhere from close to a, maybe a gallon or a little less. They would bake it or they would broil it or they would roll it out into a paste and bake a cake out of it or something. And so there would be enough. But if you gathered more, and we tend to be greedy, if you gathered more than you could eat that day, it would spoil overnight. There would be worms in it. I'm getting ahead of what we're going to read in Scripture. There would be worms in it and it would stink. So that would happen for five days. Now, on the sixth day, you'd gather enough for two days, and behold, the next morning, it wouldn't stink and wouldn't have worms. That is a significant miracle in itself. I mean, it's a significant miracle that it's there. I mean, a daily miracle for 40 years. A daily miracle for 40 years. And, and, and then the people got tired of it. You know, they got, they got tired of eating it. Now, I probably would too. You probably would too. I get tired of some food now. You know, instead of saying, Lord, I'm thankful for this food, I think, is this all we have? You know, is it... <clears throat> And, and, I, and, and we do that. We have a tendency to, to do that. It's a test of their obedience. Um, listen to Moses and Aaron, then speak to the people. Look in verse 6. Um, Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, Even you shall know, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. Now, we read in the first chapter, they were complaining against Moses and Aaron. But now the Holy Spirit is telling us that they're complaining against God. Who do you think you're complaining is against? You know, we think, okay, you know, Lord, my life's so hard. You know, these people, they're making my life so hard. And, you know, and it's whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats or whether it is the people I work with or the people that I play bunco with or the people I play golf with. or Lord, you know, you're making my life so hard, so difficult. I mean, I'm eating this same stuff over and over. Lord, the water's bitter. Lord, why would you bring me out here to die? And it's Moses' fault. It's Aaron's fault. It's Pastor Jeff's fault. It's Donna's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's your fault. And you know who you're complaining against? God. Because he led them there, he put them there, and, and it says to us, they're complaining against God. And you know what? And I put it in capital letters in the note, beware of complaining. Because we're complaining. If I, if I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I do with all my heart, I believe the Bible teaches that on, on practically every page. And if I do, and, and I complain about my circumstances, I am complaining about God. 
Now, I want to say to you, my first response generally is negative. My first, when something happens in my life, my first response is generally, woe is me, woe is me, you know, why me, you know, why am I? But, but, but as a Christian, our second response should be, Lord, I belong to you. I'm your child. This, if this is your will, I'm going to glorify you in it. That should be our second response. I mean, we're human, and our first response comes automatically. Uh, they think, what did I do to deserve this? And, and, you know, did I do anything to deserve it? Sometimes we feel guilty. Sometimes we feel offended. And sometimes, you know, we blame other people. Uh, but, and, and again, that's, that's our human nature. That's our fallen nature. But our second response should be spiritual to think, I am a child of God. He loves me. He has not forsaken me. So there's something here for me. I'm going to glorify him. If I suffer this to the death, I want to glorify God in it. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I had a birthday a while back, so they keep rolling around, don't they? They, they just keep rolling around. You know what? A couple of things I've learned as you go through life. You know, your birthday, your age goes up and the presents go down. And they say, you have everything you need. Now, my family's listening, so we're going to a birthday celebration this afternoon, so I'm priming the pump a little bit here. So you, you understand, we have a collective birthday. There are about four of us in August and September, whatever, five of us. Or, I don't know, so many of us, who cares? And so, you know, so you, you go through, but I realize that inversion happens, you know, so... But, you know, you're thinking, but here's what I wanted to say to you before my mind wandered off, is that I, you have these birthdays, but they're not neutral. Your body begins to reflect it. And, and, you're, and if you're not careful, your hope begins to reflect it. When you realize that I don't have the stamina I used to have, I, I don't have the memory I used to have, uh, I, I don't have the... Um, recall I used to have. I could, there's a whole list of things I don't have anymore. Some of them are pretty personal I'm not going to talk to you about. But you know, there, there's just a whole list of things that are happening to us as those birthdays roll by. And you understand? And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, it depresses us. Would you agree with that? And, and we, we think, okay, I'm not who I used to be. In fact, I never was who I thought I was. Anyway, but... <laughs> But, but we get depressed. You know, we get, we get depressed, and we... Depression is a form of complaining, and it's against God. And we need to be careful about that. We need to be careful. The psalmist talks about it. Proverbs talks about it. We age with grace. That we say to the Lord, don't forsake me in my, old, in, in my, in my older days, and don't forsake me in my old age is basically what it says. But it doesn't say, don't take away my old age, don't, but it's just saying, Lord, don't forsake me. And, and really what it, what it means is, don't let me forsake the Lord just because I'm getting older, because this is part of my trial. This is part of my testing, is that I handle this with grace as best that I can. I know I'm kind of joking with you this morning, but this is so serious because we live this out every day. Uh, in our life. We're tested every day. Gusick said, a complaining heart often finds it easy to accuse the person they complained against of the worst motives. We tend to do that. I tend to do that. Sometimes you do. And that's what the Lord in the New Testament, we're warned against, is that I'm not to impugn your motive. I can impugn your action, 
Because that's visible, that's tangible, but I, I can't your motive. I'm not to judge your, your motive. So uh, they had forgotten what it was like in Egypt. They'd, a, a month out, they had forgotten they were slaves. They sat by the pots and had their flesh and their bread, and now they're out in the wilderness and they're hungry and they're, you know, they, they, they think Moses is trying to, trying to kill them. And they had forgotten that their life had been miserable, basically, and their gut and the Pharaoh was killing their children. They had forgotten those things. So God gives them instruction. Uh, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. Now, here's another one. He's going to test them. And it shall be, verse 5, on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Okay, so here's God's instruction. It's a test and it is a significant miracle that's going to happen and to be continuous. The last verse of this chapter said it, it was continuous for the whole time they were in the desert. So the whole 40 years. Um, Five days, and, and you, know, you know the story. Five days there would be enough. You'd go gather what you need for each person in your family, which was about anywhere from close to a, maybe a gallon or a little less. They would bake it or they would broil it or they would roll it out into a paste and bake a cake out of it or something. And so there would be enough. But if you gathered more, and we tend to be greedy, if you gathered more than you could eat that day, it was spoiled overnight. There would be worms in it. I'm getting ahead of what we're going to read in Scripture. There would be worms in it and it would stink. So that would happen for five days. Now, on the sixth day, you'd gather enough for two days. And behold, the next morning, it wouldn't stink and wouldn't have worms. That is a significant miracle in itself. I mean, it's a significant miracle that it's there. I mean, a daily miracle. For 40 years, a daily miracle for 40 years. And, and, and then the people got tired of it. You know, they got, they got tired of eating it. Now, I probably would too. You probably would too. I get tired of some food now. You know, instead of saying, Lord, I'm thankful for this food, I think, is this all we have? You know, is it, <clears throat> and, and, I, and, and we do that. We have a tendency to, to do that. It's a test of their obedience. Um, Listen to Moses and Aaron, then speak to the people. Look in verse 6. Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, Even you shall know, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. Now, we read in the first chapter, they were complaining against Moses and Aaron. But now the Holy Spirit is telling us that they're complaining against God. Who do you think you're complaining is against? You know, we think, okay, you know, Lord, my life's so hard. You know, these people, they're making my life so hard. And, you know, and it's whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats or whether it is the people I work with or the people that I play bunco with or the people I play golf with. or Lord, you know, you're making my life so hard, so difficult. I mean, I'm eating this same stuff over and over. Lord, the water's bitter. Lord, why did you bring me out here to die? And it's Moses' fault. It's Aaron's fault. It's Pastor Jeff's fault. It's Donna's fault. It's my kid's fault. It's your fault. And you know who you're complaining against? God. 
because he led them there. He put them there, and, and it says to us, they're complaining against God. And you know what? And I put it in capital letters in the note, beware of complaining. Because we're complaining. If I, if I believe in the sovereignty of God, and I do with all my heart, I believe the Bible teaches that on, on practically every page. And if I do, and, and I complain about my circumstances, I am complaining about God. Now, I want to say to you, my first response generally is negative. My first, when something happens in my life, my first response is generally, woe is me, woe is me, you know, why me, you know, why am I? But, 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 but as a Christian, our second response should be, Lord, I belong to you. I'm your child. This, if this is your will, I'm going to glorify you in it. That should be our second response. I mean, we're human, and our first response comes automatically. Uh, they think, what did I do to deserve this? And, you know, did I do anything to deserve it? Sometimes we feel guilty. Sometimes we feel offended. And sometimes, you know, we blame other people. Uh, but, and, and again, that's, that's our human nature. That's our fallen nature. But our second response should be spiritual to think, I am a child of God. He loves me. He has not forsaken me. So there's something here for me. I'm going to glorify him. If I suffer this to the death, I want to glorify God in it. I don't know about you. Uh, I, I had a birthday a while back, so they keep rolling around, don't they? They, they keep rolling around. You know what? A couple of things I've learned as you go through life. You know, your birthday, your age goes up and the presents go down. <laughs> and they say you have everything you need. Now, my family's listening, so we're going to a birthday celebration this afternoon, so I'm priming the pump a little bit here. <laughs> So you, you understand, we have a collective birthday. There are about four of us in August and September, whatever, five of us. Or, I don't know, so many of us, who cares? And so, you know, so you, you go through. But I realize that inversion happens, you know. So, but, you know, you're thinking, but here's what I wanted to say to you before my mind wandered off, is that I, you have these birthdays, but they're not neutral. Your body begins to reflect it. And, and, you're, and if you're not careful, your hope begins to reflect it. When you realize that I don't have the stamina I used to have, I, I don't have the memory I used to have, uh, I, I don't have the um, recall I used to have. I could, there's a whole list of things I don't have anymore. Some of them are pretty personal I'm not going to talk to you about. But, you know, there, there's just a whole list of things that are happening to us as those birthdays roll by. And you understand? And if we're not careful... If we're not careful, it depresses us. Would you agree with that? And, and we, we think, okay, I'm not who I used to be. In fact, I never was who I thought I was. Anyway, but, but, but we get depressed. You know, we get, we get depressed, and we... Depression is a form of complaining, and it's against God. And we need to be careful about that. We need to be careful. The psalmist talks about it. Proverbs talks about it. We age with grace. That we say to the Lord, don't forsake me in my, old, in, in, my, in my older days, and don't forsake me in my old age is basically what it says. But it doesn't say, don't take away my old age, don't, but it's just saying, Lord, don't forsake me. And, and really what it, what it means is, don't let me forsake the Lord just because I'm getting older, because this is part of my trial. This is part of my testing, is that I handle this with grace.
as best that I can. I know I'm kind of joking with you this morning, but this is so serious because we live this out every day uh, in our life. We're tested every day. We don't always recognize it as a test, but God's saying to us, I want you to trust me. I want you to look to me. I want you to have your hope in me. I don't want you to live a disappointed life because you have trials. I want you to recognize that this is not your life. Your life is going to going to be through eternity with me in harmony with me and joy in your heart and that's your life this is the test leading to your life and if we would remember that we would be blessed so Moses and Aaron they respond to the people even though God and basically tell them that you're complaining against God and then verse 6 they said to the children of Israel at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and the morning you'll see the glory of God. That's verse 6 and 7. For he hears your complaints against the Lord, but what are, what are we that you complain against us? Also, Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints, which you have made against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now come to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I've heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, at twilight you shall eat meat. In the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So he's going to give them two significant miracles. And let me just read them, then we'll talk about them. Verse 13. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And verse 14. When the layer of dew lifted, there was on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost, on the ground, and when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? And in Hebrew, that is manna. That's what that phrase, manna means in Hebrew, what is it? So that's what they call it, what is it? And they hadn't seen it, for they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So, again, when you read the commentaries, they say that in the, in the, area of Middle East that quail migrate and so God did a miracle that he blew, blew the wind and brought them and their migration to this camp and said in the evenings when the quail, and you know we have quail in our country, this may be a little different country, different type, but he said they can't fly very far and, and when they fly they get exhausted quickly and so they fly close to the ground and when they land they don't take off again so God brought them there, and it's still a miracle that God brought them there and these flocks of quail, and there were enough for the children of Israel to eat meat in the evening. And then in the morning, then when the dew lifted, here is the manna. Uh, and here is the manna, and it's going to describe it a little later if we read it. Uh, it's like a corridor seed, which I don't know what that was, but it's real small. Uh, like a sesame seed, and it's white, and when they cooked it, it's sweet to the taste. Some of the old Jewish uh, traditions would be that for the children, it tastes like milk, and for the 
young people, it tastes like uh, pizza, and they didn't use that word, but, you know, whatever young people like. And then uh, for adults, it tastes like steak, and then for, you know, people with no teeth, it tastes like, uh, I don't know, something. <laughs> so, something. <laughs> and all, all that, you know, who knows what that's like. All we know, the Bible said it tasted like honey. It tasted like bread with honey in it. So I'm going to think angel food cake. Tastes like pound cake, maybe. I like pound cake. So it tastes like pound cake. And, and so but God provided it miraculously for them. And I'm sure it had the right protein amount. It had the right carb- carbohydrate amount. It had all those things. And, you know, and I'm thinking as I read this, why weren't they slaughtering the flocks and the herds? Why weren't they eating those? Well, if you're a shepherd, you don't do that. That's your... I mean, that's your living. You eat that, and you don't have a living after that. So, you know, you get the milk, and you get the wool, and, and you, don't, you don't eat it, and so you, you keep producing with those. Eventually, before they starve, they would, but God didn't want them to do that. So he's he given this miraculous provision. He wants them to know, I am with you every day in this wilderness, and every morning, when you went out and you gathered that up, enough for today, for every member of your family, and it was God's provision, and it didn't cost you a dime, and all you had to do is you had to go gather it and prepare it and eat it. <clears throat> now, it's really interesting. Here's the grace of God available to all these people, but he wants them to be responsible to do it. I'm going to make the application to the Word of God, It's available to us, but we have to partake of it. We have to read it. We have to think about it. We have to ingest it. Uh, The grace of God is available to us. But we have to think about, Lord, it is your grace that I'm living in today. Lord, this is your world that you created. And the world's going crazy, but it's still your world. And you have a purpose and you have a plan. I'm a part of that. So let me make my part. Uh, significant in, in honoring you. Let me speak on your behalf to the people I meet today. Let me be gracious. Let me speak about Christ as I have opportunity. Lord, and, and if the, the whole world's going south, but let me be a kind person. Let me be a generous person. Let me be a responsive person to the needs around me. So, see, again, we have to do that. God gives the grace, but we have to live it out. That makes sense to you? And if these people didn't go and gather it, they didn't eat that day. And if we don't do that, we don't have the joy of the Lord in our heart. We, we don't have the grace of God residing within us because we're ignoring it. We're, we're not appropriating it to our lives. And so let me just let me say to you, uh, if you don't have the joy of the Lord in your heart, it's your fault. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. He, he, he is joyous, and He is graceful, and you have to appropriate it. You have to think about that. You, you have to bring that into your life. <clears throat> you know, when we read this and we think about how significant that is, every single day they saw a miracle. And then, if that wasn't enough, every sixth day they saw a weekly miracle. I don't, I don't doubt, we read that some of the people gathered it, they gathered too much, they kept it till the morning, and in the morning they got up and it stunk and had worms in it. 
And, and then they thought, okay, you do that a few times and you'll think, okay, we're not doing that. At the end of the day, we're throwing it out. But, and, and you know what it's teaching them is God's grace is for today. I can't live on my former life. I can't live on my, if I, my parents or Donna's, they weren't in church, knew nothing about the Lord, or, or what they knew about the Lord wasn't significant. So I can't live with them. But if you, if you had godly parents, you can't live in their faith. You have to have your own faith. Your children have to have their own faith. I can't live on yesterday's blessing. I have to go to the Lord today and acknowledge His rightful place. See, we have to do the same thing. This is what it was teaching them. It was teaching them that every single day you need to thank God for today because this is God's provision for you today, but it's only for today and not for tomorrow. And then weekly He taught them, I am God. I am your provider. On Friday, you gather enough for two days, and on their Sabbath day on Saturday, it is okay. It's established. You don't have to go gather. In fact, on Saturday, it wasn't there. And so God's saying to them, I'm your provision. I am your Sabbath rest. You go into Hebrews, and we learn that Jesus is our Sabbath rest. I don't have to work for my salvation. I have to trust in God. For my, for my salvation, but it is Jesus who provides it. He is my Sabbath rest. There are churches today in Midland who practice the Sabbath. They're Sabbath keeping. They went to church yesterday, and they, didn't, they tried, if they didn't have to, they didn't work yesterday. And so they, they believe in the Sabbath keeping. When the New Testament teaches us that, that Christ is our Sabbath rest, we don't earn our salvation in any way. We just simply trust in what Christ is done for us. <clears throat> so quails for meat in the evening, manna in the morning, God is their provider. This is just astounding that they would have such trouble when they had this daily miracle. They have the visual sight of the cloud and the flame at night. That, and, and sometimes God manifests His Shekinah glory in addition to that, but I think that's a manifestation of God's presence if not his glory, but his presence. And they had that every day, and every day they had manna. Their clothing did not wear out. Their shoes did not rot off their feet. Now, and, and so they were provided for in the desert, in, in this wilderness journey. And, and yet they, they complained, and yet they didn't trust God. Uh, they had my nature. They had your nature. Okay, go back to our text wherever we were. And we're going to talk about the establishment of the Sabbath. The manna is a significant miracle, a daily miracle for 40 years. Significant miracle. And then, so they explained to them, Moses explained to them, verse 19, let no one leave it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses. We've talked about that. Uh, And then verse 23, then he, Moses, said to them, this is what the Lord has said, tomorrow's the Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you'll bake today and boil what you'll boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and did not stink nor the worms in it. And Moses said, eat that, eat that today for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. 
And then it happened as he said. And then verse 29. See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So God established for the nation of Israel, not for us and the new covenant, but for the nation of Israel, he established the Sabbath day law. And the Sabbath day law is, is that you take your hands off the steering wheel as it be, and I will provide. I am your provider. And, that, and then and when they get established in the land, he gives them the, the Sabbath year that you sow your crops for six years, and on the Sabbath year, you leave it fallow. And I'll provide for you. I will give you enough bounty in those first six years that you don't have to do that in the Sabbath year that you let the crops, the, the fields lay fallow. And then on the Jubilee year, you know, the 50th year, you know, and so he gave them all these instructions for their benefit. He's saying to them, I want you to have a rejuvenation. I want your land to have a rejuvenation. And in doing that, I want you to learn that I'm your provider, not yourself. Think how hard it would be if you were a farmer, and we have some people here who are from that background, how hard it would be if, if, if you went six years and you farmed the land, and on the seventh year you just said, I'm not working this year. Well, it's not that you wouldn't work. I mean, you still feed the animals. You still do it. You know, you still go plow. You just don't plant. So you don't get a harvest this year. You're not, you know, you're just not going to do it. Not many people would do it. Israel wouldn't do it. They, some people did, but for the most part, they didn't. And so you, you come to the Babylonian captivity, and one of the things it tells us there is God is repaying them for those missed Sabbath years, and he's bringing them into captivity for 70 years to make up for 490 years that they didn't observe the Sabbath year. It's really interesting. God is so organized, he's so consistent, and we miss it often if we're not careful. We miss it, and we think, this is an exceptional circumstance. God will understand if I have this exceptional circumstance. I mean, he expects me to do what I can, and he wants me... He wants me to take care of this problem. He doesn't want me to, I, I, I would trust him if that was the only alternative, but I can do it myself. I can fix this. God help us. Yeah. So it's the establishment of the Sabbath. God is, God is saying, this is how much I love you. I'm establishing the Sabbath. Um, when you go to Deuteronomy, let me close with this. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. Um, there's a commentary on the manna giving. God let you hunger, then fed you with manna, so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, that's in Deuteronomy. And then you go to Matthew chapter 4, and you hear Jesus saying that, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When Jesus is going through the temptation, that's what he says to the devil. He says this commentary out of Deuteronomy. And then you also, and you go to John chapter 6, and maybe uh, you, you hear Jesus saying to the people, uh, the people are saying, well, uh, Moses gave us this bread from heaven. He said, Moses didn't give you the bread. God gave you the bread. And then he says, I am the bread 
of life that comes down from heaven. And so when we read this, we recognize that this is typology of what Christ is going to be. That Christ is the manna from heaven for us. Daily manna from heaven. He is what we need. He is all that we need. Let, let us remember it. The very last uh, verses here, 32, 30, 35, there's to be a memorial. It said, gather up some, put it in a pot, and hold it. And, and later, when the temple's going to be constructed, uh, it'll be put in the ark. Now, Moses is writing this afterwards, so we, the last verse, it, it, it's going to be with the testimony in the ark. But it hadn't happened yet, because there was no ark at this point in time. But he gathered up some, put it in a pot to keep it until that time as a memorial. Remember, this is what God did for you. This is what God's doing for you. And we need that as well. We need memorials regularly. And it is the Lord Jesus. So pray with me. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time together this morning. Lord, help us every day to remember your grace. Every day to be grateful for your grace. Lord, uh, forgive us that we complain against you. Uh, Lord, when we uh, look to the world to satisfy our deepest need, it's you who satisfies us. It's you who ministers grace to us. Lord, please help us uh, remember that and live that out to your glory and uh, not to complain, uh, Lord, and, and be disrespectful toward your, your grace and goodness to us in any way. Uh, Lord, uh, when we stop to think, we never want to. And so help us overcome our basic desires.